It was a few years ago, in 2008, that the IAAF decided to introduce a labeling system for a select number of big road races, marking out the best road races in the world based on a number of factors, including depth of the elite field, drug testing, and a few other factors. And while the program has been around for a few years now, there still aren't many races that have been designated as being worthy of one of these labels, let alone the top-level gold label. In fact, in the past year, there are only three gold-level marathons in all of the Americas, Chicago, Boston, and New York. Now that changed on January 8th of this year, and now Canada has a gold-level marathon all of its own, and today's episode is all about that marathon. Known as the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon, it's been the grounds for some of Canada's best marathon runs over the years, and now finally, it's getting its dues. On the show today, we'll chat with the Canadian with the fastest time on that course, Reed Coolset, about the race, recovery, and Olympic qualifiers, and we'll chat with the man who made it all happen, race director Alan Brooks, and we have some surprise guests along the way, so you aren't going to want to miss that. You're tuned into the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. My first guest on today's show may not be the face of Canadian marathoning. He likely won't be the one to break Jerome Drayton's record, but the smart money says that he will likely play a big role in the race that will see the end of that record. Alan Brooks is the race director of the Canada Running Series, including races like the Young Street 10K, the Scotiabank Vancouver Half, and of course the IAAF gold-labeled Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you very much, Michael. It's great to be on. On January 8th of this year, it was announced to the world that the Toronto Waterfront Marathon got upgraded to the gold label, and the positive reactions seem to be widespread from the Canadian running community. Does this label change anything for the validity of the marathon as a major, or has it been there for a while? I'd like to think it changes quite a bit. Uh, this will actually be my my 30th year of uh, organizing races in the city of Toronto, and uh, that's where I, I really got going. I organized a race in Guelph for a couple of years first and uh, then moved to town. And uh, I guess a lot of us, uh, an awful lot of people, have worked really hard for 30 years, and this is uh, a recognition, an international recognition, that we have an international quality uh, great marathon in Toronto and in Canada. Uh, when I started, people used to say to me, oh, Alan, if you want a decent race, you have to go to the States. Uh, and it used to drive me crazy. And uh, even, I would say, maybe five or six years ago, uh, one of the major athletic brands in Canada told us they didn't want to sponsor the Waterfront Marathon because they didn't believe there'd ever be a major marathon in Canada. So I think we had a lot of motivation. We had something to prove. Uh, and I'd like to feel that, that the recognition from the IAAF now really validates what, what so many people have been working on for the last while to put us on the world marathon map. You and your team have had to do all sorts of tasks to reach this gold standard. Walk me through some of the demands that you had to meet to upgrade from the silver label. Well, I, I, I think generally, uh, you know, the, the labels... Uh, are a recognition of different standards. So, you know, the quality of the organization in, in a number of areas, and I think in, in the medical, in the anti-doping, in the quality of the elite race, in the broadcast that we have for the race, listeners out there will probably 
be aware that we were the first marathon in the world to be live streamed uh, on YouTube this last fall. So a lot of different areas, the overall organization of the race, as well as uh, the quality uh, of the competition up front, the depth of the uh, doping control, that, that will, will change and deepen now, which I think is important. I think most of the competitive Canadian athletes, all of the competitive Canadian athletes that I know, pretty passionate about a, uh, a drug-free sport and fair competition. So I think the other important part, Michael, is not just as it a sort of vindication of, of sort of what we've achieved, but it's really a huge incentive to, to push on from here. And, you know, when you look at it, it's pretty remarkable. There are only three other gold label marathons in all of the Americas. Uh, you know, from Hudson's Bay to Tierra del Fuego, uh, and that's Boston, Chicago, and New York. So we're looking at all kinds of things uh, that, you know, whether it's media guides or, uh, again, the broadcast, a bunch of stuff on course. It's great to be able to take to the city. And, of course, the race will be the national championships for the first time this October, too, saying, you know, City, you've been great, but we need more support now to completely close roads. When I when I started again 30 years ago, the city used to give us one lane, uh, coned off uh, in the middle of live traffic and try and pretend that nothing was going on. Uh, we've come a long way from that, but there's still a lot of stuff that we can do. One of the things uh, that we're, we're sort of... Uh, going to do too is we're going to have uh, two new lead vehicles uh, at the front of the race and uh, we're using a, a lead vehicle lead clock that's been developed by the Chicago Marathon and uh, with the programming for it every kilometer the clock does three rotations on, on the lead vehicle there it shows the running time as you pass say five kilometers it shows the time that the last kilometer was run in, and it shows the predicted finishing time based on the current pace. Hmm. Uh, and this timing system, lead clock, has been used at every world record that's been set since 1998. So again, it's something that you see in the majors that... Uh, Actually, uh, uh, Dave Bedford at London was one of the key people involved in the development with Chicago of this and getting the IAAF to accept this, uh, this clock uh, as being legal, uh, legal assistance uh, for, for the runners. So just tons of things that we'll be working on uh, to continue to make it a better better event you know the that's a great lead-in to my next question the canadian running series yourself and in particular the scotiabank toronto waterfront uh, marathon is very active uh digitally on twitter facebook and we can't forget about uh as you mentioned earlier the first ever youtube live stream last year while you may be on the leading edge of that sort of thing do you think other marathons uh, will have to follow your lead to stay relevant uh, and how do you think it's affected your your races um yeah, that's something that's very important to us at Canada Running Series and the marathon. Uh, our mission is building community through running. 
Uh, and I think if people go on our YouTube channel, uh, they'll see a couple of uh, videos. They're only a minute long each that uh, we, we just posted in the last couple of months after the 2014 race. Uh, and there's one, join the uh, Scotia Toronto Waterfront Marathon community. And it's exactly about this. Uh, running, not just as something a bunch of crazy people do in their underwear early on a Sunday morning, but it's part of a lifestyle for a growing number of people. And it's also a relevant part of the city building process. Uh, I'm on the advisory board, for example, of Open Streets Toronto. And uh, so I think when we say building community through running, it's building the running community, but building the broader urban community beyond that. Uh, I think that for city races, at least, to be successful, they have to be a meaningful part of this city building process and to be contributing to the growth of the community year-round. Our races, our eight races, raise over $6 million a year, $4 million at the Waterfront Marathon alone, uh, that goes back into the community. And it makes our sport relevant. Again, it isn't just a one-day wonder. Uh, it's something that people are saying, we want to come out and cheer for these 25,000 people. They're great heroes. They're raising money for the community. They're setting records and putting our country on the map. They're great role models for their kids, for their neighborhoods. And uh, they're not just something that's blocking traffic. So I think if you don't do this community interaction uh, and engage in a meaningful way through social media, uh, through going out in the community to charities, uh, to city councillors, to neighborhood groups, to run groups, run crews. If you don't do that, then it's going to be very difficult. I was just trying to say, as well as the national championships this year, for the first time, uh, we're hosting uh, the global Bridge the Gap movement as hashtag BTGYYZ. And Bridge the Gap is a global movement of uh, running crews. Uh, we've seen quite a bit of ink on Parkdale Roadrunners and Night Terrors and Fraser Street Run Club, East Van Running Crew. That is really the sort of modern era extension, I think, of traditional running clubs. I think it started in East London with Run Dem Crew and a guy called Charlie Dark and uh, uh, has become very big in, in cities... Uh, and New York, Los Angeles, Toronto, and Parkdale Roadrunners will actually be the hosts, but people will be, crews will be coming from 15 or 20 countries around the world uh, to Scotia Toronto Waterfront Marathon this fall, uh, and, uh, you know, bringing all of their energy and their underground running community to the race. So we very much believe in the complete race of having everybody inside the Big Ten of charity runners, healthy lifestyle runners, and competitive runners like Dylan or Eric or Lanny or, or Reed or Rob. Uh, there's room for everybody, and I think we feed off each other's energy, and uh, it makes the whole that much bigger 
and we take that out and connect that with the broader community uh, and get the charity runners introduced to the high-performance athletes. Someone uh, like Kate, Kate Van Buskirk or Eric Reed, Krista, uh, have been tremendous about this as uh, high-performance athletes recognizing the importance of making our sport relevant. You know, speaking of, of those uh, top-end sort of athletes, your event annually attracts some of the best that Canada has to offer, from Eric to, to Lanny. In your opinion, how important is it to the Canadian running culture that we have a premier event where we can see all of our top marathoners virtually in one place every single year? Oh, I think it's tremendous. Uh, as I was just saying, I think the energy that it brings, the excitement that it brings, you know, it's palpable. It's there for everybody. Uh, when when uh, Reed and Eric uh, uh, both qualified for for uh, the London Olympics at our race in 2011. And uh, we had that absolutely unbelievable, amazing scene uh, where, you know, the qualifying time was 2.11.29. And Eric was sprinting up the home straight there on Bay Street, uh, eyeballs out with the commentator and the crowd counting down 10, 9, 8. <laughs> Seven, and he made it by one second. Your Olympic dream you made after 42 kilometers, you made it by one second. And that year we got $17 million worth of independently measured uh, media exposure. When Lanny and Krista had their great races two years ago, it was 12 million, 12, 12 and a half million. And uh, even though we had no no records this last year, 2014, it was still 11 and a half million. Uh, and I think the media come out because they're sports departments. They come out to, to cover the excitement of the head to head competition. Uh, you know, uh, is, is Dylan uh, going to beat Reed or is Eric going to beat Rob? Uh, how are Lanny and Krista going to go head to head? Um, Will there be any surprising new stars? It's all these stories that, that get us media coverage. Uh, and that obviously is something for the sport, something for everybody. And social media has connected us all now. So uh, we have our digital champion ambassadors. And many of them, uh, I think, were initially shocked, but aren't any longer, that, oh, Krista or Reed or Eric or Lanny or Rob, uh, they wrote back to me. Uh, <laughs> you know, they posted on my Facebook page. Uh, you know, they replied to me on Twitter. Uh, again, I think, I think it's hugely important. And by the same token, it's really important to have the charity runners, about 25%, about 6,000 of our runners are charity runners in the Waterfront Marathon people who often are fairly new to the sport. And we have an evening at the beginning of December where we give our charity challenge and a neighborhood challenge uh, prizes. And we usually have some of the high-performance athletes come and help with the presentations. It was Kate Van Buskirk uh, th this past year, and she brought her Commonwealth Games medal. Uh, and Kate, of course, was involved in our broadcast, as Krista was, uh, and the live YouTube broadcast on race day. 
and all of the charity people, you know, they 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 watch Kate on the telly uh, or Krista, and they want to have a, a selfie with them, uh, have a group photograph taken with them, and they can connect with them on social media. So I I, I think this is massively important, and anyone any races or athletes for that matter who are not connected are, are, are sort of missing out. Uh, they could get so much more for their event, the athletes themselves, for their careers uh, by, by connecting and sharing. For more information or to register for an event within the CRS or the, uh, the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon, where can they go? Runcrs.ca runcrs.ca or stwm as in scotia toronto waterfront marathon stwm.ca and uh, those two websites will uh, give you everything you need and on either one do click on the youtube channel and see let's go toronto and join the uh, scotiabank toronto waterfront marathon community there'll be a lot of uh, one love out there just before I let you go, uh, anything big planned for this year? You know, with the, uh, I suppose, is it 25 years now that you've had this Toronto event and uh, with with the gold label now? No one single thing like the YouTube uh, live broadcast, uh, but so many things all across the board. Uh, uh, like I mentioned, uh, the timing clocks, we're always working uh, to enhance the overall quality of the race. Uh, bring new sponsors in, more activation, so that we we strive to to provide that outstanding, unforgettable running experience. So the best thing is followers at RunCRS on uh, Twitter uh, and followers the same way on Instagram uh, and uh, join in a daily conversation. And we'll inspire each other to the finish line. Well, congratulations on your gold label this year. And thanks a lot for uh, for joining us today, Alan. Thanks, Michael. Uh, we hope to see you out at some of the races and uh, uh, some of your other guests, too. We can't do it on our own. Hey there. This is the Vancouver Kids, Rob Watson and Dylan Wikes. And we'd like to say congratulations to Alan for getting gold label on the Scotia Toronto Waterfront Marathon and I guess we'll share our favorite memories of the Toronto Scotia that that race we're talking about um, I've raced it four times I finished it one time so my best memory is actually finishing it and that was my fastest marathon ever 213 so as long you know I've dropped out a few times but I've also run my fastest marathon ever there so that's that I only ran the race once in 2011 and it was only an okay day for me but memorable for me was uh Kenneth Mungara winning for like the fifth time in a row. That guy was the man. I think he was like 40 years old and he was still winning that race. So my performance, not so memorable. Other performances, very, very memorable. Every year, the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon attracts some of the biggest names in Canadian distance running. From Dylan Wikes to Eric Gillis, plenty of Canada's best have had great races in Toronto, but none better than my next guest, Reed Coolsat. He is currently the Canadian with the fastest time on that course, with a 2.10.55, putting him third overall on the all-time fastest Canadian marathoners list. But he's nowhere near done yet. With Rio 2016 on the horizon, you can bet that these next few years will be fast ones for him. Welcome to the show, Reed. Yeah, thanks a lot. 
First things first, 2014 was not very kind to you. With an evolution fracture in which an abdominal muscle ripped off your pubic bone, taking a bit of that bone with it. You actually just got back from training in Kenya, though. How is the comeback coming along? Yeah, training's going really well. Um, yeah, last year I had, well, I had probably carried that um, injury for a while, but going into London Marathon, I thought it was okay, and then um, didn't really feel great during the marathon and starting back up afterwards, it was, uh, just didn't go anywhere. Training wasn't going anywhere. Um, it was just too much pain. And then yeah, I got an MRI, found out there was an avulsion fracture and, um, I had to take off three and a half months, um, completely rest it. Actually like no cross training or anything. Um, and then start up really slow. So I started up with a kilometer run in September and, um, even by the end of the month, I was only up to seven K. Uh, and I was I was cross trained by that point, but um, yeah, October, November, December, uh, things really progressed, and I got to the point in December where uh, I was doing uh, decent sessions again and getting in um, decent mileage, and went to Kenya um, in mid December with a little bit of a uh, little bit of base, I guess, and just enough to where I could kind of pick up the training and, and jump into a group there. And, um, yeah, the training in, in Kenya went really well. Given the weather that, uh, around here over the past week, how much do you wish you were back in Kenya right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I had to do my workout on the treadmill yesterday. Um, it would have been a lot easier just to roll out of bed in Kenya and hit the trails rather than shovel snow for an hour and, and, and go to a treadmill. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'll just deal with uh, what I have to here, and you know, the treadmill's not the worst thing. It's it's boring, but you know, you can get fit on it. So, uh, I'll just uh, kind of focus on what I can what I can take care of and and do here, and and hope for uh, there's not too much to know. I imagine you have a pretty good relationship with the uh, Toronto Waterfront. You've raced it a few times now, putting down some of your best times on that course, and uh, even when you're injured last year, you helped out a little bit. Uh, what was your reaction when you found out that it had been upgraded to a gold level? And do you feel like this will boost the credibility of the race? Um, yeah, I mean, as far as I can, uh, I'm concerned, it was always a, a good race. And the uh, level of competition was already, um, you know, kind of a step ahead of, uh, of where I am right now. Um, you know, they have got, they've had guys 205, 206, 207 PBs. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it can only get better from here. Um, uh, the IWF awarding them the gold label uh, was a was a great move for uh, Scotiabank, and uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, we'll uh, you know to to maintain a gold level, you have to have a certain number of athletes with a certain amount of PBs and and whatnot. So it should, if anything, it will uh, you know help the race uh, become stronger and you know and move forward. The race consistently attracts a full roster of Canada's best, including Rob Watson, uh, your own training partner Eric Gillis. Uh, Dylan Wikes, how important to you do you think it is that there is a race that brings all those names together within Canada? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to have a, a race like this in Canada. Um, yeah, I got to race it twice, um, 2010 and 2011. Uh, I purpose took 2012 off after the Olympics, and then the last two years, actually, I wanted to race, but um, 2013, I broke my collarbone. And I just kind of had to push back my marathon. And 2014, I had that injury that I just talked about. So uh, I haven't raced as much as I would have liked to. Um, uh, it, uh, and yeah, to have a to have a race of that caliber, you know, really close to home is um, is awesome. And I know other guys who I train with in Kenya, um, you know, in certain countries, they don't have that luxury. 
I mean, every race that they go to, if they want to have, a, you know, a shot at an Olympic qualifying time or whatnot, they have to travel to another country. So it's something that, uh, you know, once you talk to other athletes, you, you know, you don't take for granted. And, um, you know, you, you really cherish when you're in the race itself and you get a lot of fan support. And, um, you know, and of course, like the support from the race is huge because, you know, usually when we travel to other races, we're kind of at the mercy of other local athletes um and what paces they want to do whereas in toronto alan will ask us you know what you know what pace do you want to run and he'll provide rabbits for for our needs so it's um it's a big advantage and i think um you know it's one of the reasons why um eric and i've had so much success at uh, Scotiabank is because it's been catered to um to our goals you know on that topic uh you know of all those great names on your blog readcoolsad.com, you mull over the pros and cons of running a national marathon trial. While you were ultimately against it, uh, would this be the race to do it at, or would there be perhaps another course, uh, other situations that would be better suited? Um, I mean, the course, I mean, the course would be great. Um, it just, it just comes down to, do you want to have, um, an Olympic trials with other competitors in it? You know, if, 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 like at a normal Scotiabank, if, you know, we're asking for uh, pacers and Alan provides us with pacers and somebody gets a better pacer who maybe goes to 35K and somebody else gets a pacer who only goes to, you know, 15K, then that's really unfair when you're selecting a, an Olympic an Olympic team. So there's there's things like that. Um, you, you'd, you'd, pretty much have, you'd pretty much have to have a race um, on its own. And given um, the amount of runners that we have under... 220 it doesn't really warrant putting putting on a, a race just for um the guys who kind of have a shot at you know an olympic standard and the you know the, whatever it's going to be like 211 212 range or whatnot and then the other thing too is if you have uh, an olympic trials race in october then you're pretty much uh, telling the canadian athletes not to do pan ams or the world championships you know so you know those are important races for the canadian team and um, if you have to get ready for a trials in October, you take away um, those. You take away from those races, which uh, you know some people might want to compete at. You know that has been uh, something of a bit of a, a topic on a lot of running message boards and that sort of stuff. Uh, the Canadian participation at Pan Ams as well as uh, at the World Championships this year. Uh, have you heard? Is there is there going to be any Canadian representation there? Uh, I would think so. Um, with the Pan Ams standard being two eighteen. You know, that opens up the doors for, um, you know, guys who are just starting off at the marathon and need some championship experience. I know my first championship marathon, um, the standard was 218, and uh, I was able to, you know, qualify for uh, Worlds in 2009, and that was a really good experience for me, and I think that, um, you know, opened my eyes to to marathoning um, and, and helped my career. And, um, yeah, with a, with a 218 standard, um there's, you know, there's a bunch of guys uh, running marathons in Canada who have the capability to do that, and um, I don't think that they they would want to pass up uh, a national team experience. Um, Beijing is a bit bit trickier. Um, you know, of course, there's always the stories about you know pollution in Beijing and whether they clean up the air like they did for the Olympics uh, for the World Championships this this coming year. Um, like it's, I don't know if it's impossible to say right now, but um, so there's other things too to 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 look at, and and also if you have a shot at qualifying for the Olympics, and um, you know you 
haven't hit the standard yet in 2015, um, you might want to, you know, uh, forego a championship race in the summer and, and go to something like the uh, Scotiabank uh, Waterfront uh, Marathon. With that being said, uh, 2015 definitely shaping up to be a big year for you. With the 2016 games just around the corner, you're likely to be chasing that still-to-be-released standard. Is Scotiabank, uh, is is that kind of the race that you're looking to, to peak at this year? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to run a, a marathon this spring. And... So far, training's gone. It's going well. So, um, yeah, who's to say, uh, you know, what happens after the spring? But, um, yeah, Scotiabank's definitely, um, definitely up there on my list of, of races to do. And if I need the standard, um, I know I can, uh, have, you know, have a fair shot there with, um, with the support that we get from, uh, from Allen and and the Canadian Running Series. Speaking of targets, perhaps one of the most talked about times in Canadian distance running is 21008. Uh, I'm pretty sure I don't have to tell you the significance of that. Jerome Drayton's national record uh, in the 42.2. Some thoughts on that number and uh, perhaps the running community's obsession with that number? Yeah, I mean, now that the uh, record's 40 years old, um, you know, I think, I think you know, a lot of people want to see it go down. I'm sure a lot of people are are sick of uh, hearing about uh, attempts as well, um, you know, to, uh, <laughs> they, they, they come up short. And, you know, I know I've tried to hit it a few times and, and come up short. And um, I guess when I, when I, when I get to a line, uh, the start line, and I know, um, you know, I have a, I have a certain goal. Um, I'll, I'll tell people what that goal is. And um, a few times in the past few years, it's been in line with the, uh, breaking uh, that long-standing record um yeah obviously it'd be uh, it'd be good to see it go down and uh, selfishly i'd like to be the uh the guy to do, to do that but um yeah i mean i guess uh talk is cheap in the end and um i guess we'll have to let results uh, speak for themselves taking into consideration your injury but uh, also the high mileage that goes into training for a marathon what does a week of training look like for you uh, right now? Um, yeah, I was running a bit lower mileage for a marathon buildup in Kenya. Um, however, I got back from Kenya with still 11 weeks before um, before a mar- like if I do a marathon in mid-April. So, um, yeah, uh, in Kenya I was running anywhere from 168 to 183 kilometers, so consistent in that range and focusing on two uh two faster sessions a week typically uh about an hour um tempo run and then uh, a fartlek session and then usually a long run um anywhere from 28 to 35k uh now that i'm back in guelph um the first i'm going to do a bit more um a bit more volume so this week will hopefully be around 200 kilometers um and but once again same kind of uh, schedule in the week where I'll have uh, like a fartlek session. Um, yesterday I ended up doing five by ten minutes, and then uh, a longer session, so um, something more in the marathon race. We call I'll call it race effort because of all the clothes and the cold weather that I deal with. But you know um, that kind of effort over anywhere from fifty to. 80 minutes. You've been quoted in the past as saying that you have four or five marathons left in you. Uh, do you already know where you're going to run those? You know, do they have uh, courses and names already, or is is that something that's gonna, 
you know, something you're going to figure out as you go along. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a bucket list of, uh, of marathons I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, they include, you know, Boston, New York. Um, yeah, I'm too obsessed with uh, running a fast time right now. Of course, qualifying for the Olympics is a big goal and, um, you know, a time standard um, and a time goal. They're, they're, they're kind of at the forefront right now. So I've uh, skipped uh, some of the some of the slower courses um, in, uh, <laughs> in chasing these faster times. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, I just take it one marathon at a time. And um, right now I'm just focused on uh, April marathon. And um, I should be able to confirm that one soon and get that out there. And then, uh, yeah, after that, you know, um, if I run fast, it opens up more doors for uh, some of the races I want to do. And, uh, you know, if I'm still chasing a fast time, then I'll, you know, look to, uh, yeah, something like, uh, uh, Toronto again. Well, we, uh, we wish you the best of luck, Reed. And, uh, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Terminal Mile. Thanks goes out to all of our guests today, including Alan Brooks, Reed Coolsat, Dylan Wikes, as well as Rob Watson. Thanks as always goes out to Tracky for all of their support. And thanks to you for listening. I'd like to send out a very sincere congratulations to Alan, the Canada Running Series, as well as the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon on getting upgraded to that gold label. Job well done, folks. And if you'd like to keep up with us, you can find us on Twitter at The Terminal Mile. You can find us on tracky.com. All you have to do is go to the radio tab there. There you can also find a bunch of episodes of The Rob Watson Show. would definitely suggest that. And we're also on Stitcher, iTunes, as well as the TuneIn app, so you can take us anywhere. Thanks again for listening. You've been tuned in to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. 